You're listening to The Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge. Uh oh, look here. I got one. I got one. Look here. <laughs> I mean, he whacked that football jig. The blades will dictate a lot of times the speed of the retrieve or the depth of that bait. Oh, good fish. Good fish. Did you see him come off that log? Whoa, look at that song gun, man. That's awesome. You know, you've got to just stay active. Fishing is not easy. Oh, man, that's a toad. This is unbelievable. Hello and welcome to The Edge, the weekly podcast of the Bass Edge television show on the Versus Network. I am your host, Aaron Martin. This week, we have David Strahan from Texas, right off of Lake Fork, to talk about how to select a guide. And, you know, there's a lot of things in here that he is going to bring up that I cannot wait to dive into because there's a lot of do's and don'ts and uh, it's going to put you on the fast track when selecting a guide. In addition, we have Steve Sachere from one of the world's largest battery manufacturers that's out there, East Penn Manufacturing, to talk about how to select the proper battery for your boat and your motor, your trolling motor, but also as far as battery maintenance. You know, that's one of the big factors uh, with regards to storing these batteries is how to take care of those. So anyway, a lot of great things going on there. But I want to bring you up to speed on a couple of exciting things that's taking place. On our website, BassEdge.com, we have a new series of articles that are coming out uh, specifically targeted at bass clubs. I know the first one is is designed towards how to start a bass club. There's some going to be some things down the line that's coming up is how to award points, um, how to raise sponsorship money. So a lot of great things there. If, if you're part of a bass club currently or thinking about starting one up or joining one, this is going to be a series of articles that you don't want to miss. So um, be sure to check that out on the, on the website, BassEdge.com. Also, you know, we, we get underway with tournament season. And uh, a lot of the Bass Edge team members are going to be out and about. I know Mike Webb, he is going to be on the Heartland Trail this year. Glenn Mann is fishing the Strin Series on the Central Division. And then myself, I'm going to be hitting on the BASS, uh, the Central Open Series uh, that are going to be, I think, in uh, Texas, Louisiana, and um, Amistad. That's, that's the last one. So if you see us out, make sure you stop us, introduce yourself. We'd love the opportunity to talk to you. So stick around. We have an exciting time ahead of us as David Strahan is right up after this short break. You've got the truck. You've got the toys. Now it's time to get the hitch that gives you more time to play with both. It's the tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. You want options? Select the ball size, adjust the height to level the trailer, or stow it out of the way in just seconds. It's 10,000 towing pounds worth of durability, convenience, and the latest technology that has made B&W famous. The tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. Call 1-866-BEST-HITCH. Welcome back to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge. Welcome back to The Edge. I recently had the opportunity to sit down with David Strahan and discuss how to properly select a guide. You know, there's a lot of guides out there. Uh, in addition, when going to a new body of water, to not only to learn, but to try and get you on some fish to where you can have success and, and have a great time. You know, not every guide is created equal. So David is going to share his thoughts on how to go about doing that. So without further delay, here's the interview with David Strahan. David, thanks so much for, for being a part of this. and. Uh... I know we, we recently had the opportunity to, to hook up down at Lake Fork and had, had quite an interesting trip. We uh, were able to get on, you put us on some quality fish and had a lot of fun doing it. 
dealt with a couple changing variables, but it was certainly a great trip. In fishing Lake Fork, you know, one of the things that I know that you had told me down there was that we'd focused on fishing humps and fishing some creek channels and some things like that. But when you, you talk about targeting big fish, what is the key of getting into and finding and locating those those big fish? Uh, the key is different different times of the year. Right now we're we're going into the winter pattern, and the, the big fish are moving with the bait fish and the fish that eat the bait fish. Uh, they're moving to deeper water for the winter. Uh, not all of them, but about probably sixty percent of them move deep. You're targeting the shad, the yellow bass trying to find them and find where they're, they're staying to catch the uh, big bass. So throughout the, is there, are there techniques that you apply specifically for trying to figure out, you know, where a, an eight pounder lives, let's say, versus of just trying to catch, you know, a two pounder? Where are, on Lake Fork specifically, do those fish hold in differing areas or is it pretty much more of a factor of, you know, relative to the bait? Uh, I think it's uh, it's relative to the bait because it changes different times of the year. You know, there's fish that live in shallow water all the time, and there's fish that live in deep water all the time, and there's fish that migrate back and forth. And you need to target the bait fish, except for the spring. You need to target the bait fish. What about as far as bait selection? You know, on Lake Fork, is there certain baits that that are your go-to baits all the time? Uh, soft plastics. Soft plastics are probably the, uh, you know, your your weightless fluke, your Carolina rig, uh, your Texas rig, uh, even a jig, you know, with a soft plastic trailer. It's probably the go-to bait. You know, when everything else fails, you slow down. You know, you hear a lot about downsizing on baits or going smaller or going bigger. The size of the bait, because even within, let's say, the jigs, for instance, you know, you have big jigs, full-body jigs. You also have the smaller, what's called the finesse jigs or the spider jigs. Likewise, with soft plastics, you know, if you have varying lengths or various sizes of soft plastics. Um, does What type of effect does that have? You know, uh, I, I really don't know because you can catch some of the biggest bass with the smallest baits and, and, and vice versa. I think my theory is if they're not hitting the big baits, you know, which I like to throw, then I'll back back down and go small. You know, you're trying to give them an opportunity. You know, one day I feel like a hamburger and then one day I don't. <laughs> That's true. Um, you know, when you look at Lake Fork, it's it's a, obviously a lake that has been, I think you said, what, 1980, 81? 82. 80, 1982 is when the lake was actually open. It's a lake that has been managed quite well, you know, for big fish has the Florida strain bass. Um, how, you know, what makes Lake Fork so good at producing and continuing to be able to produce quality fish? You know, everybody has their own theory, and I think the Parks and Wildlife deserves the credit. You know, the lake uh, was started out by them, and they, they, they managed it under a rule of, of slots starting from the, from the get-go. Uh, and what is it? I mean, what is the slot? When you hear the word, you know, you talk about these slot limits. What is what is that, and how does that impact? The slot limit right now is a 16 to 24 inch. 16 to 24 inches. You cannot keep. You catch fish, take a picture of him, weigh him, measure him, but you got to put him back in the water. That is the breeding fish. That's the 
that's you know the most of those are they're assuming most of those are the bigger females and they're trying to keep those fish for spawning purposes they, they need to be left and in, in the water not taken home and eat you know you're they're, what they're trying to get you to do is if you want to eat fish you keep five fish under 16 inches or one over 24 and most people don't keep a fish over 24 to eat that's that's a trophy fish mm-hmm. and actually most of those fish are you know they're caught and maybe brought in and weighed but they're either donated to the lunker program you know at specific times of the year or they're released when well, you say the lunker program talk a little bit about that because i know that you were fortunate enough to actually have be a member of the lunker program the state of Texas has a, a program where for part of the year, if you catch a fish over 13 pounds, you can donate it to the state for for breeding purposes. They take the fish, uh, they take it to Athens, they put it in special aquariums, special tanks, they put it with a small or a male fish, and they spawn the fish out. And sometimes they keep it one, two, or three months trying to make sure that they can get the fish to spawn. Not all of them spawn. You know, they may have 30 fish donated to the state or whatever during, the, like, November through April. But not all of them spawn. I'd say, I don't know what the statistics are, but it's probably, you know, less than 50%. But the ones that do spawn, you have a good chance of becoming big fish. You know, they're, they're, they're mostly Florida strain, and their mama was over 13 pounds, which means they had the genetics to get big. And what and they've taken those fry and they'll put them back into other lakes. Any particular lakes, or do they just take the? You know, I don't know what the what they do, which lakes they put them in, but I do know they put them in nearly all the lakes yeah. in Texas, all the public lakes. So, when you say and you submit the the thirteen plus pounds, is that only through the months of November? And no, November to April. November, I think it's November to April. It could be October through April, but I'm not. I think it's November to April. Is that open to, is that something that's only open to residents to the state it's of the open Texas? open to anybody that catches a fish over 13 that qualifies. They have to come out. A guy named David Campbell works for the Parks and Wildlife. He comes out and he'll certify the fish as as capable of being spawned out. And then they accept the fish into the program. Uh, and they have two different ways of doing that. You can donate it and they keep the fish, they spawn it out, and they do what they want to with it for studying purposes. Or you can donate the fish to the state of Texas, and they spawn the fish out, and then they give the fish back to you, and you put it back where you want to put it back. You know, like if you want to put it back in your lake or some other lake, you know, they'll agree to whatever you want to do. It's your fish. So what when you submit an entry, and let's say you're accepted, your fish is accepted into the program, what, what does the angler receive in, in turn for that? If they accept the fish into the program, you're going to receive an award. You're going to receive... Uh, a jacket, a coat, you're going to get a free replica of your fish, uh, and you're going to, like this last year when they hit number 400, I don't know what they're going to do in the future, but they gave a big award out for the 400th fish in the Lunker program. Uh, If you catch the largest fish of the year and you're a Texas resident, then you get, I think you get a lifetime license. Wow. So it's obviously, it's a, and I think there's a banquet involved? Yes. uh, There's an awards uh, dinner that you're invited to. You get a free invitation to this awards dinner with the state, uh, and they give you your award there. So it's a, it's a huge opportunity, right. and, it, and it's a way that everybody comes out uh, on top for 
for the experience of a lifetime. Everybody wins. Nobody loses there. And, you know, they take their success ratio of putting the fish into the program is good. I mean, it's like I don't know what the percentage is, but the fish live. They take a lot of trouble and a lot of uh, time trying to take care of the fish and making sure that the fish survives. Any idea on how many entries are actually submitted to that program throughout the course of the year? Between 20 and 30 a year, but I think they hit number 400 for the program last year. Okay. Wow. That's that's fantastic. And they're coming out of not just Lake Fork, a lot of other lakes. Sure. Now that they've got this program in all the lakes. So it's it doesn't necessarily just have to be Lake Fork. You can go to really any reservoir in Go to Amstead, Toledo Bend, Sam Rayburn. And certainly we know that Texas has a lot of reservoirs to choose from, of which yeah. have a lot, a lot of big fish. You know, if, if an individual is coming to Lake Fork, you know, we were fortunate. We caught, had one, uh, eight pounds, a little bit better. You know, that is the fish of a lifetime. Um, what what would you say are the chances, and you, you do a lot of guiding, you do a lot of guiding throughout the course of the year, you help individuals who maybe have never fished before to those who, you know, fish professionally and, and fish tournaments and compete at that level. But put into perspective what an angler coming down to spend the day with you or another guide could expect uh, on catch rates and, and the sizes. Well, it, it varies different times of the year, you know, and in and, and, and weather conditions. But your chances of catching a big fish are awful good. It's just like when you catch an eight-pound bass. There's a lot of a, a lot of eight-pound bass that don't make 24 inches. The one we caught was 23 inches. Um, those fish have to be put back. So every you know, the bulk of the fish that are between 16 and 24 inches are some big fish. There's been some 13-pound fish that weren't 24 inches. Wow. <laughs> that means you go out there and you catch a 12-pound bass that's 23 and a half inches long, he's got to be put back so somebody else can catch him. You know, there's not a chance of him going home with somebody. Right. They're caught and they're put back in the water. They're not carried around in the boat. The chances of you catching another one is good. And that's that's just can only be something described of being able to experience it. We can sit here and talk about those big fish all all day long, but until speaking from my standpoint, until you actually experience that on the end of the rod, there is nothing, nothing like it. Uh, what are what would you say the best months and the best times for individuals to have an opportunity to go after the you know these bigger fish? Late February through probably through June, the spawn starts in late February. Um, it runs. February, March, April, May, and then the fish come off the beds, move out to deep water, and they're very hungry and they're very easy. Sometimes they're they're spawned out, but they're huge fish. They're out. They're they're feeding up in the deep water, and they're easy to catch. So starting in February, concentrating on right. on shallow fishing, right. And then as the spawn progresses, then you move out to you're, to you're deep fishing water. in the backs of the creeks in February, and you move as as the time moves on, you move further towards the main lake. And we've got some fish that spawn in, in February in the backs of the creeks. And the fish out in deep water out on, the, on the main lake, they don't know it's time. You know, it'll be May before a lot of those fish spawn. When you talk about deep water, you know, deep is a relative term depending upon what body of water or what part of the country that you're, that you're from. And when you say deep, talking about Texas, what does that depth range consist of? To me, deep water is probably 18 to... 28 foot 
uh, when I tell somebody we're we're going to be fishing deep, you know that's mostly deep ledges, creek channel edges, humps, ridges, old road beds. At 18 to 25, 28, we catch some fish deeper than that. We catch some fish at 35, but uh, those are hard times. That doesn't happen often for me. I catch a I catch a lot of fish at 20 to 25. And mainly using the the, the jigs and the, the jigs, the Carolina rigs, yeah. uh, drop shot, jigging spoons. Uh, just depends on what time of the year. Depends on where the bait fish have moved to. Do you throw a spinner bait much on, or moving baits? Spinner bait is uh, springtime, and then in the mornings. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I generally, you know, the weather condition plays all. You know, if, if you've got wind blowing twenty miles an hour and you've been catching a lot of fish down the shoreline. You know, I'm going to throw a spinnerbait. Sure. To start with, I'm going to, I'm going to find, throw something to find the fish, or I'm going to either that, or I'm going to know where the fish were yesterday. But if I'm looking for fish, a spinnerbait in the wind is a good deal. It's a, it's a great bait. For those who have not been to Lake Fork and, and considering that uh, part of their travel plans or upcoming fishing trip, what advice? What's, what's the best way to, to enjoy Lake Fork? Because, you know. Seeing it for the first time, it is just truly an awesome, awesome fishery. But the other thing is, it's you got to be careful out there. You know, there's a lot of trees, and um, it can certainly be done. But what advice would you give to individuals who are coming if, for the first time? If they've time? never been here before and they're coming for a week, I'd advise them to um, to call in advance, hire a guide the first day. Most people that can go out with a guide and learn how to run the lake safely, get some patterns, catch some fish. You know, learn what to do, where to do, and how to do it. And then that way, they, the next few days or whatever they're here, they can be there in their own boat. If they're coming down on their own and they don't want to hire a guide, then they need to go to one of the marinas and talk to somebody at one of the marinas on what to do. Most of the marina operators on this lake, people that are working in the marinas, will tell them something to help them as far as operating on the lake safely, you know, where to go, what kind of bait the fish are being caught on. You know, they're not here just to sell bait. They're, they help people. They want a good reputation. You've been a guide since, what, the late 80s, early 90s? Since 1991. 1991. And that's a lot of guide trips throughout the course of that time. You know, in looking for a guide, what advice do individuals need? You know, kind of what's what's the highlights and what do you got to be careful of and what questions should, should someone ask when they're when they're thinking about hiring a guide during the springtime, there's probably uh, I did venture to say there's probably 250 guides on the lake. Wow. The rest of the year, there's probably maybe 30 guides. So there's really 30 full-time guides like yourself that day in day out year round that do this right. full time. But in the springtime, there's not enough guides to go around. There's so many people, you know, and we get a lot of traffic. We get a lot of pressure in the springtime, but there's a lot of fish to be caught. You know, in, in the springtime, it's not a big problem. We've got a lot of lake. It's cut up really heavy. It's uh, it's not just a big round bowl. There's a lot of arms and a lot of creeks. And even though there's a lot of people on the water, you're not going to be under pressure most of the time. If you're looking for a guide, uh, it's better to talk to a guide up front or talk to him on the phone or talk to one of the marina operators and get someone they recommend. And there's a lot of marinas on the lake. You know, and obviously... Picking a guide off the Internet can be... got to be careful. Yes. And, you know, obviously I know from your perspective is, you know, you want that client and that potential angler, regardless of their skill level, to enjoy their day and to put them in a situation where they at least have the opportunity, 
you know, to catch fish. You bet. That's what's going to bring them back. Sure. And I know in, in talking with you, a lot of your business is, is repeat business. How much in advance do individuals need to call you uh, as far as booking a trip? They're going to book a trip. Let's say they're going to book a trip in uh, March or April. It's best to call in January. You know, most folks don't know what kind of vacations or what their schedules are going to be in a year where they're going to plan something until after Christmas. But if you want to pick a particular day and you want to go with a particular guide or me or, you know, if you want to go on the last Thursday of March, you know, or the last Saturday of, of March or April, and those are the only days that you have, you need to contact whoever you're going to go with or contact a marina and get a guide for that particular day. Or you might wind up with a part-time or someone that's not guiding a lot. Which doesn't necessarily mean positive or negative, but bottom line is the more days right. you're on the water, the more you're the, staying the in better touch the with, odds. the more you're staying in touch with what those fish are doing. Right. You know, you look at that's one of the things that, you know, I remember when we were down is that we had some conditions to where, you know, it was the day before a major front was moving in. Those fish can be a little finicky, and unless you know you know how to how to make those transitions those movements it's just like any type of fishing whether it's your home lake or you know lake you've never been on bottom line is you got to kind of be able to make good decisions the number one thing that a guide gives most people on the water that are going to be there for three or four days it's confidence it's hard for someone to give somebody confidence just talking to them in other words i could see no you at the boat ramp and i can tell you to go across to the island you know, and throw this Carolina rig on that island. And if you go over there and you don't catch a fish the first couple of throws, you know, the confidence factor has gone away. With a good quality guide will carry you somewhere, you know, and he'll set you up and he'll say, now, I've been catching fish right here. The bait fish have moved up. There's fish here. You know, this, this type of situation nearly every day. And you start fishing and you start catching fish. Or maybe you don't catch fish right away and, and, you know, the guy hangs there because he knows there's fish there. You know, you're there for 20 minutes, and then you start catching the fish. Or you catch two or three big fish because the guy knew the fish were there. He's built some confidence in you, you know, that you didn't have before you went there. Uh, the same way with running down the lake. I can show you how to run down the lake with a map, or I can show you from the dock, you know, how to get across to a particular place. But it's better for someone to carry you out there and drive you down the lake and show you because even even if he shows you real close it you know a particular way to run a creek or a particular area um it's still not a hundred percent because right now our lake is down and we got a lot of trees and a lot of the trees have been broke off and a lot of them are right just below the water line and the lake can be dangerous if you get out of certain areas it, you need to slow down and really know where you're going yeah bottom line is if you're in doubt just slow it down and you take your time. What about as far as, as you, you know, fishing pressure? Um, how do you deal with, with fishing pressure? Because, I mean, you know, 200 guides on a lake in the springtime with that many anglers, that is a lot, a lot of baits in the water. You know, fish are seeing a lot of different baits. If you're catching fish, it's not a problem. And in the springtime, on the good days when you do get a lot of pressure, you're, you're out there on the really pretty days, there's a lot of people out there, the locals, the people from out of state, the guides. And if you're catching fish, pressure's not a problem because you can be, you know, 30 yards away from, from five other boats. And if everybody's catching fish, it's a ball. Nobody cares. 
there's times when it, it gets too close and too tight. But um, are there adjustments that you have to make to get the fish to respond? I mean, are there are there little things that that you you have to apply to be able to get those fish to react in those conditions under those situations? It's just patience. Patience. Well, a perfect example of that, you know, and this goes back to the confidence that we had talked about before. I can specifically remember one of the situations that we had. You know, we were going to a, spot, a particular spot uh, close to the, a bridge, and you know there was a hump there that you wanted to fish. We had an individual there that uh, you know got there first, obviously, and so we just made a, a minor adjustment and moved up uh, the bank a little bit. He left. And so we went ahead and moved moved over there, and I specifically remember one of your things was I have confidence in this spot. You know, we don't necessarily know what he was throwing or what he was doing, don't know how he approached the structure, and you know we had some some great results just because of you following your instinct. Confidence factor is a big deal, and it, that's the same thing I was telling you about by hiring a guide, a good quality guide. He'll build some confidence in you on what you're doing. Otherwise, you may move up and down the bank too fast. You know, there's fish there. Sometimes sometimes you run a spinnerbait across them and they don't react to a spinnerbait, but you can back up and throw a weightless fluke or a Cinco and they'll jump on it in a heartbeat. You know, it's just you have to have patience sometimes. If you know there's fish there, you just have to slow down and give them a minute, give them some time, find out what they really want to do. Don't leave fish to find fish. Right, absolutely. Uh, what about as far as what could a angler expect to come down here as far as, you know, what's the average cost for for guiding? Most guides are running anywhere from two seventy five to three hundred a day. Motel accommodations are about sixty five a night. And there's there's a dozen places around the lake to eat from Mexican food, steakhouse, barbecues. You know, everything's pretty much contained right here. Not including two Walmarts within 18 miles yeah. in either direction. <laughs> uh, it's uh, you know it's it's not a big deal if you come here. You don't have to go too far to get what you need. Um, it's it allows you to stay on the water right. and uh, increase your your potential to, to catch more, one of those big fish. More time on the water, the better the odds of catching That's a right. big fish. Most folks don't come here to catch fish. I might need to say that. They don't come to Lake Fork. Lake Fork is, is renowned. Uh, we This lake has covered more. It's, it's known for more 10-pound-plus fish than any lake in the United States per square acre of water. We have a lot of big fish, and a lot of them, are, I'd say probably 80% of them are put right back in the water. Wow. It's so easy to catch it, take its picture. Maybe some of them are brought into the marina. You know, when you catch a great big and you catch a 10, 11, or 12, you know, <clears throat> you want to bring it in and get your picture and get a certified scale weight. They bring it in, but 90% of them are put down at the boat ramp and, and let go. Well, and the other thing, too, if and when you do catch that fish of a lifetime, the way that taxidermists now, you can get these replicas made with just a, a few simple... Um, dimensions taken off the fish and a picture, you can't tell the difference. And they last a lifetime. Exactly. And you have the opportunity that that, that ex same experience that you had might be given to somebody else. Absolutely. Or you may do it again yourself. Sure. Because those fish are creatures of habit. You put them back in here and they'll go back home, the big ones. They, uh, they've run transmitters in them and most of them go back home. 
Wow. I'd love to be able to, to visit with you more, David, but we're simply out of time. How can, how can people get in touch with you to, you know, whether it be to talk to you about guiding service or um, about the lake? What, what's a good way to, to reach you? My phone number is 903-383-2029. They can email me at lakeforkguide at msn.com. Well, David, thank you so much for, for your time today. And again, thanks for that wonderful trip, talking about an experience. And if you haven't been to Lake Fork, Texas, to experience what big bass fishing is about, you've got to come. Thanks, David. We'll be right back with Steve Sacheray of East Penn Manufacturing to talk about not only how to take care of your battery, but how to properly select a battery for your application. So a lot of great stuff ahead. Stick with us. We'll be right back. When I'm fishing in a tournament, time is critical. I need fast, easy access to my lures. My Cook's Go-To Tackle System keeps my bait organized, tangle-free, and within easy reach. It installs in minutes under any deck lid, maximizing the storage space in my boat. And its durable construction lasts even through the harshest conditions. Get organized with Cook's Tackle System by calling 1-888-390-8780 or online at cooksgoto.com. Hello and welcome back. It's time for our weekly giveaway. So if you've been sending in your registration, then your name has officially been entered into our drawing for this week. For those of you who may be listening for the first time, each week on The Edge, we have a drawing for a prize package provided by one of our sponsors. To register for that prize, you just need to send an email to podcast at bassedge.com. Again, that is podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, at bassedge.com. Most importantly, in the subject line, Put product giveaway and be sure to include your name and address in the body of the email so we know where to ship the prize if you win. This week we have some exciting products from MegaWare Keelguard and as many of you are probably already aware, they are known for the first do-it-yourself installation keel protector. Uh, also they have the Skeg Pro which that protects the Skeg of your motor uh, in the event that you forget to raise it uh, when you're taking it out of the water on the ramp or idling through those rocks. But they also have uh, what's called the Scuff Buster, and this provides protection of where your boat rests on the rubber roller of your trailer uh, whenever you're connecting that, that winch strap. So they have a lot of great things. Uh, the winner of this week's prize package is Brian Mancy of Durant, Oklahoma. So congratulations, Brian. We will get your prize package shipped off later this week. Uh, so be sure and watch for those things that's headed your way. Now, each week we delete all of the previous entries and start fresh, and there is no limitation uh, to how many times you can enter and win, although we do ask that you only enter one time a week. So if you did or did not win this week, send us another email to podcast at bassedge.com. Again, with the subject line, product giveaway, and your address, and you will have another opportunity to win next week. Okay, we are going to take one more short break, and then we will be right back to speak with Steve Sacheray from East Penn Manufacturing, one of the largest battery manufacturers in the world. So don't go away. We'll look forward to meeting with Steve right when we get back. Give any type of boat the edge with MegaWare Keel Guard. It's simple to install, and we can now beach our boat anywhere. If you own a boat, you need one of these. MegaWare Keel Guard protects the keel of your boat from sand abrasion, from underwater obstructions, even concrete boat ramps. Kit started under $140, and best yet, it's guaranteed to keep on protecting for life. Thanks, MegaWare Keel Guard. 
Thanks, MegaWare Keelguard! Welcome back to The Edge with your host, Aaron Martin. In the studio today, we are joined by Steve Sacheray of East Penn Manufacturing, one of the world's largest battery manufacturers. Excited to have you, Steve. Thanks so much for being here. My pleasure, Aaron. Glad to be here. One of the, the things that I think that is, is touched on, but it's never really discussed as far as from an education standpoint to give us direction, and that is battery selection, battery maintenance. How do you go about it? But that's a very important component when it comes to, to fishing, running a boat. You know, you've got a couple batteries for your trolling motor, at least, and then you've got one for your cranking, you know, battery, or motor, rather, I should say. Where, where do you start? You want to first determine how is a battery going to be used. Is the battery used to turn the motor over, turn the engine of the boat over? Uh, in that case, you'd want to use a starting or cranking battery. Or is the battery going to be used in a trolling motor uh, capacity and you're going to want a little different battery for that. You're going to want a deep cycle battery to run your trolling motor. Uh, I'd want to also caution you that you don't want to use a starting battery in a trolling motor application. You're just not going to get the life or the service life out of that battery because it's not designed for that application. Well, starting with uh, the, the cranking battery, you know, you see a lot of different, there's different sizes, uh, meaning not only from the size of the actual physical size of the battery, but then you have you know something that's called the the cranking amps, the cold cranking amps. How do you break that down? How does an angler, whenever they walk in, you know, to the O'Reilly's or the Bass Pro or wherever they're going to purchase their battery, how do you know what to buy? I guess your first uh, idea would be to find your owner's manual of the boat. If you can find the owner's manual and it specifies what type of battery to use or what cranking performance you need then I would always go with that or a little bit higher. If you can't find your owner's manual, then uh, you're going to want to actually bring the battery in uh, to a store and, and help them size it up. Uh, there's a couple ways you can measure a cranking battery. There's cold cranking amp rating. That's a rating at zero degrees. You may also see something called MCA, which is marine cranking amp rating, and that's the same type of rating just based at 32 degrees Fahrenheit. So you're going to have a little higher capacity, at least in appearance, when you look at the MCA, or Marine Cranking Amp Rating. Uh, does it hurt to actually have a, a cranking battery that is higher in amperage? No. Can you, can you effectively you know, be too high in that category? No, that won't hurt anything. But it, if it goes the other way, it, it can certainly have adverse. Yeah, if it goes the other way, then you are going to have some longevity problems. Do you have any you know, rule of thumb to use when trying to figure out how long a battery you know, should last? I know like, some of them come with warranties and things like that. but It really depends how the battery is treated and what conditions the battery operates in. Uh, for example, heat actually has a worse effect on battery's performance than cold does. Heat actually speeds up the chemical process that occurs in a battery and causes a battery to wear out quicker. Uh, it depends how you treat the battery as far as how you store the battery. Do you put the battery away fully charged? Uh, if you're taking care of the battery, cleaning the post, and putting it away fully charged, you're going to get longer service life out of a battery. But if I had to, to make a guess, I would say the average starting battery is going to last about three or four years. Switching gears to the trolling battery, or which is also commonly known as, as a deep cycle battery. Um, you know, one of the th things that I look at is when I am out 
on the water. I want to make sure that I am going to have the power that I need, not only for that day, but that it will continue to last for the course of my fishing trip, throughout the course of the tournament. What, what suggestions or, or advice can you offer in that area? Well, if you have a way of determining how many amps your accessories are going to draw, then you can use a mathematical formula to determine how, how much runtime you're going to get out of your battery. Um, and what I'm really talking about there is if you have the amp hour rating of your battery, say it's a 100 amp hour battery. Okay. And, and that, is that marked on the battery normally? Generally, you're either going to have the amp hour rating or the reserve capacity rating marked on a deep cycle battery. Um, both of those are, are measurements that try to assess how long or how much runtime you're going to get from your battery. Um, so if you have, for example, a 100 amp hour battery and you know you're going to pull 5 amps an hour, then you're, you're going to have 20 hours of service from that battery. Um, so, and, and generally, when you're using a deep cycle battery, you don't want to discharge that battery down 100%. If you could keep the discharge of that battery down to 50% of its rating, you're going to get much more service life out of your battery. There's only so many cycles. So many, a cycle is a discharge and a recharge. There's only so many cycles in every battery. And the shallower you can keep that cycle, the longer that battery is going to last. What about recharging? Is it better to, you know, one of the habits that I get into, and I'm asking this as a question because I don't know, whenever I get back to the motel or in from fishing or whatever, I'll plug that in instantly. Is that a good practice to do? I mean, do you want to normally try and recharge it, recharge it as soon as you get in? or? Yeah, I, I recommend you try to recharge it as soon as possible. Uh, you want to put back the power in the battery that you took out of the battery, so to speak. Um, you also want to be cautious. A lot of boats nowadays are coming with their own charging systems. Um, most of those work great, but you don't want to rely completely on that. You don't want to forget about your batteries. You want to take a look at your batteries every so often. If they're hot to the touch under that system, they're probably being overcharged. Or if you see acid coming out of the caps of the battery while using that charging system, it's probably being overcharged. So you want to have that charging system checked as well. So is the, because I, I, you bring up a good point, a lot of the motors in that now, when, whenever the big motor, the drive engine is on, it's actually putting current back in into those. Is there a way to test those batteries to make sure, you know, that, what, what do you suggest to make sure that that is not happening? I mean, do you just look at the visual sight? Yeah, there's a, there's a couple things you can do. The first one is to visually inspect the batteries. Uh, you, can, you can put your hand on the side of the battery. If it's hot to the touch, uh, it's probably being overcharged, and you want to let that battery cool down before you do anything. But that's an indication that you've got a charging problem, whether that's being charged in your boat or whether you're charging it in your garage. Um, you don't want to charge a battery so that the acid is boiling out of the battery. That's overcharging. That's not good for a battery. You don't want the battery to be hot to the touch. Um, you can use a simple digital voltmeter, which gives you a reading uh, that indicates the state of charge of the battery. You generally want the digital voltmeter to say around 12.65 volts on a flooded deep cycle type battery. Um, that's uh, indicating that it's fully charged. If you've got a reading of say 12.4 volts or below, that indicates that that battery is 75% uh, charged or less and you really want the battery to be 100% state of charge. Quickly, I know we're, we're running out of time, but give us a little bit of comment on the new, or I should say some of the newer technology with the gel batteries, maintenance-free 
those type of things because there's some tricks to remember on those as well. Yeah, there's a couple newer batteries to the marine market. The, the first one that really seems to be growing by leaps and bounds is something called AGM technology. It stands for absorbed glass mat. The electrolyte or acid is held in suspension in this sponge-like separator material that sits between the positive and negative plates. Um, that battery can be completely sealed, so you don't get any leakage. You don't get corrosion on the post. Uh, it is very tightly compacted, it's very tightly compressed, so it's very vibration resistant, which is great in boats because vibration is a major failure mode in, in a boat application. Um, tends to cost a little bit more than your standard flooded deep cycle type battery, but you're also going to get more service life out of it. Uh, it because of that vibration resistance, and it is a very good cycling battery, um, you should get longer service life out of it um, for that additional money. Uh, there's also another battery that's relatively new to the market that you might start hearing about, and that is gel battery. A lot of people confuse gel batteries with AGM batteries. They're, they're not the they're same. Different. They're different. Gel battery is going to cost you a little bit more than an AGM. Uh, it has a Vaseline-like substance that is used instead of the sponge-like separator material. The electrolyte is actually in the Vaseline-like substance. Uh, they tend to be exceptional cycling batteries. Uh, they're, they're expensive and, the, and they have very strict charging stipulations. You want to charge those batteries, the, the gel batteries, between 13.8 and 14.1 volts. And so that, that becomes a bit of a problem for the average angler to make sure that his charging system on the boat or his charger can charge that battery properly. If you're not going to charge it properly, you're wasting your money. Okay, great, great stuff. Wish we had more time, but I promise you, you will be back to, uh, to go into more detail on batteries. Thanks again, Steve, for joining us. Well, that is all the time that we have on this week's podcast. Uh, thanks, Steve, so much for joining us. I also want to thank David Strahan for his tips on selecting a guide. If you have not had the chance to tune in to our television show called Bass Edge on the Versus Network, be sure to check that out. It is on, again, the Versus Network at 7.30 a.m. on Wednesdays and 7 a.m., on Sunday mornings. Both of those are Central Standard Time. And for plenty of additional information, don't forget our website, BassEdge.com. Next week, we are going to be joined by our very own Bass Edge team member, Mr. Mike Webb. He didn't have the opportunity to see his episode on drop shotting. Mike, as many of you probably already know, he is an expert on drop shotting in deep water. So that is one that you definitely don't want to miss. Also, we will have Daryl Cook, from Cook's go-to tackle storage system with us. Many of you have probably seen all of those uh, uh, Cook's tackle systems that I have under each of my boat compartment lids on my front deck, but they will literally save you a tremendous amount of storage space. So looking forward to talking with him. In the meantime, thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next time on The Edge. This week's edition of Bass Edges, The Edge has been brought to you by B&W Trailer Hitches, Cook's Tackle Management Systems, and MegaWare Keel Guard. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com. Be sure to join us next week on The Edge.